0: Welcome to the D-SHIFT Podcast, where we provide inspiration, motivation, and education to help you transition from the challenges of divorce to discover the freedom and ability to live life on your own terms. Are you ready? Let's get this shift started. Hello, and thank you so much for taking the time to listen to another episode of the D-SHIFT Podcast. And today I've got a topic that's a little bit different than we've covered before, but I think it's really important for women going through divorce. I have Alyssa Johnson with me and she is, I'm going to read it so I make sure I get it right, an experienced cruise expert and travel advisor with the goal of empowering women to discover themselves after divorce by going on solo travel excursions. So I know this is, and we were talking a little bit at, uh, before we got on the recording, that this is a big fear for a lot of women. So Alyssa, thank you so much for coming on. And I can't wait to hear how you're going to help us get over this
1: fear we some of us have. Yeah, thank you for having me. I, I could talk about this subject all day.
0: Well, so let's start with that. What got you into this area of focus? Because I don't I think there's a lot of um, you know, cruise people and travel advisors that that focus specifically on women going through divorce. So what got you passionate about this area?
1: So I am a divorce woman myself. Um I come from an emotionally abusive uh background where I was deeply, deeply into people pleasing. And so when I got divorced, um I needed to figure out who I was when I wasn't somebody's partner or somebody's spouse. Or even around anybody else, marriage notwithstanding, I would always conform myself to be around people, know what they would like, and be that person so that they would like me more. And so I needed to do something alone, something where I wasn't focused on anybody else, where there wasn't even a chance that I could offend somebody else or, you know, make them not like me. And so for some reason, solo travel popped into my mind. And so I did that. And I started sharing my adventures on social media and realized from the comment section and the discussions I was having with folks that this was something that I was not alone in, that there's a lot of women out there who are sort of in this same spot, whether they're divorced or widowed or what have you, who really want to get out and solo travel, but just kind of don't know where to start or or have fears around it.
0: Yeah. And so thank you. And and first of all, congratulations on getting out of a toxic relationship. and. I think what you just said is really important and, and a lot of the clients I work with, it, it's really that sense of learning from the experience and finding out maybe where there's areas of weakness or things you want to change and then taking the action to make the change. And I love that you picked travel as a way to do that. So um, when you're talking to women, let's, let's talk a little bit specifically, what are your typical clients? Like who are, who are the women that come to you? Uh, for help did did they fit into a nice category or what does that look like for you
1: kind of no and that surprised me a little bit so my my main social media platform is tiktok and i thought oh this is only going to be teenagers i don't know why i'm on here and that's not been the case at all and i've met some wonderful women had some great conversations ranging in age from mid 20s to late 60s um so it's kind of run the gamut and they're all different life situations but they all have this one common focus on solo travel or, or the desire to solo travel.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I've got to say I was from a, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing 60 now. And when I was a young, you know, when I was a young professional, just out of university getting started, I, I always had jobs where I had to travel and I had to do it on my own for business. Like, you know, so I got very comfortable with that, but I know it's a big fear for a lot of women. What do you think is the underlying issue with that fear of, even going to a restaurant on their own or you know, going to you know, a, a lounge and having a drink on their own or a bar or whatever, what do you think the fear is that, that generates that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that just comes down to a lot of societal conditioning and how we're raised as women. You know, we're taught as little girls to be quiet and don't let anyone, you know, don't don't make noise or don't draw attention to yourself. And so I think there's something within us deep inside that's ingrained that if we're by ourselves, we automatically feel like we're noticed more. Like, why is that woman by herself? Doesn't she have any friends? Why is she alone? That's so silly because there's another part of society that looks down on people that are doing things alone. It's just, it's assumed that everyone wants a partner. It's assumed that everyone wants to be around friends all the time. And there's that, that whole part of society, women and men, both that like doing things alone, but it's, it's sort of less socially acceptable to do it. And so I think that's part of where that fear of like, Ooh, I'm alone comes from.
0: Yeah. And you know, there is that sense of when you walk into a restaurant and you're seated and then you look around and everybody's in a table of two or three or four and you're kind of the one person in there in a table Mm -hmm. of one. Um, I think we think people are looking at us. I don't think people give a shit what we're doing. Like I really think they care, but we think that they're looking at us and what's going on with her. So, so tell us a little bit about, um, well, let's, let's talk about, what do you see is the biggest hurdle? Okay, I've I've decided I want to get out there. I want to travel. What's the next hurdle or what's the next obstacle or process that women need to think about if they want to do this?
1: So if they're brand new to solo travel, I always recommend trying a country that speaks your native language. That's just one less thing to worry about you know, especially if you're uncomfortable and you haven't traveled a lot, you're going to want to feel a little more comfortable and a little more at home, which is what I did. I went to England on my first international solo trip because they speak English and that I felt very, very comfortable. Um And I've since, you know, broadened my horizons, obviously, to lots of different countries. But that's what I recommend. Just kind of minimize the variables of what you happen to be nervous about. And that kind of also narrows down your list of countries as well because there can be a lot of overwhelm when you're like, oh my gosh, I've literally hundreds of places I could choose to go what do I do next? So if you just kind of outline, uh, one, it speaks your native language, and two, what kind of trip, what do you want your trip to feel like? Do you want it to be relaxing? Do you want to be on the go constantly? Do you want to try new food? Think about how you want the trip to feel, and that also kind of narrows down your choices of countries based on, you know, kind of the vibe or the history of those countries.
0: Okay, so that's a, so that's a really good strategy. Yeah, that language, barrier. although it's so much nicer now because, you know, we've all got automatic translators now with us so that does take a little bit of the edge off of that doesn't it
1: it does but i will say even as much traveling as i've done if you're in a stressful situation i was in the metro in paris one time and the train switched tracks and none of us that didn't speak french knew but some employee was running up and down the the platforms letting us know so there still can kind of be in those like very stressful situations unless you're really really adaptable it can kind of just amp up the anxiety a little bit yeah yeah definitely so I like that idea of
0: choosing a and and whether English is your first language or French or you know Hindi or whatever it may be you just got to find that that particular country or, or area so what would be the next thing that you would recommend
1: so after that, you'll go. You'll want to think about what type of travel you want to do. Do you want to do a cruise? Do you want to do an all-inclusive resort? Do you want to get on sort of an escorted tour, which is another great way for women to sort of kind of step into solo travels, get on one of these escorted tour groups where there's other people on the tour with you, but you still have lots of free time built in so you still can make it, you know, your own trip and kind of just kind of step in slowly to solo travel with just a little bit of downtime on your own so you're more comfortable Ah, uh, with being by yourself. Okay. Um, so if
0: you're going to do one of those escorted trips or, or tour kind of events, how do you choose? And, and I'm, ge- I'm guessing you go to a professional like yourself to help line this up because I do know, I I've heard nightmare stories of people thinking they were getting these like four star trips in Europe. And then they went over there and it's like some guy in a busted down Volkswagen <laughs>
1: Like, yeah. How do you evaluate those kind of things? Yeah. And you, you hit the nail on the head. You want to use a professional. So professional travel advisors like myself, we go through certification programs. We train a lot. My, we call them host agencies, um, which is sort of where we have our business relationships. My host agency puts on boot camps several times a year where we go in person. We meet the representatives of these suppliers. So we've known them and we form a relationship with them and we're very familiar with their products. So we've done all that you know, weaving work in advance, so we're not going to send you on some you know tenting vacation when you're showing up to like a, you're expecting to show up to a four star hotel. So we have that knowledge because even a lot of these really reputable companies will have different brands. So they'll have a luxury arm, they'll have you know a, an arm for eighteen to twenty five year olds. They'll have one that's like it's a cost saving one, but that's you know the accommodations are stepped down. So you really want to work with a professional who literally day in day out we read the emails, we do the training, we have those certifications.
0: Yeah. And I really like that. I, I like that. I didn't know that that happened where you actually know the other people that are involved in, in making these, um, these events happen for women.
1: So that's really cool. Cause you yeah, can- and. And it's, it's the biggest part of what we do and makes a successful travel advisor is the relationships that we have. I've solved problems for clients that I would not have been able to solve if I didn't have a good relationship with my business development manager for XYZ company. And they're the ones that can give us those like insider information to kind of make our clients trips better too.
0: Okay. So let's take a delve into the, the negative side that can happen. So what about these? And I don't know why I'm saying so, so much today. (laughs) It's coming out of my mouth. I apologize for everybody listening. I don't know what's going on. What do you think are the drawbacks of the do-it-yourself? And I, I full disclosure, I use Travelocity booking. I use a whole, you know, wherever I can find the best flights and the best hot- or you know, the lowest cost stuff. But what's the challenge of using that when you're traveling, say, internationally or something like it? Is there, is there a downside to using those do-it-yourself planning events
1: or planning I mean, apps and System. I think I think yes, there's all there's always going to be room for people doing it themselves for sure. But I would recommend if you're going to do it yourself, book directly with the hotel or the flight or whatever because you're just cutting out that middle person. I we actually can book Expedia on the back end as a travel advisor and it is my last resort um if I can't find a, a property somewhere else that someone's really looking for just because I don't have any control over the customer service that my client's going to be getting and so it's the same with you know a client actually booking their own direct property or flight they're stuck with that middle person service whether it's Expedia or Travelocity or booking and then sometimes i find that those properties are not exactly what they come across as oh, because yeah. again you don't have those you don't have those relationships with the business development managers and you don't have that certification to be able to kind of like vet through. So you're relying on someone else's, you know, trip advisor review, they, which they could give something wonderful, a really negative review because it just wasn't what they were expecting. You know, they could have wanted a party resort and showed up to a yoga retreat not knowing. And then they say that it's terrible when it's actually wonderful for what you want. But so you kind of have to be able to, like, sift through and, like, read reviews with a fine-tooth comb.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where do you think... What do you think is the single biggest mistake that women make when they're planning a solo trip?
1: I would say it is looking at what other people do and assuming that they're going to enjoy it because it's a popular thing or a popular destination or a popular activity. Travel is so varied and there are so many different ways to enjoy yourself. Some women love backpacking, literally. Some people love five-star hotels and every single, you know, level of accommodation in between. And I think that's the biggest mistake is trying to, you know, that quote, keep up with the Joneses. I think that's the biggest mistake is booking your travel based on what someone else has done without taking any of your own actual interests into account. Okay. And I know that there's,
0: I see so many, uh, you said yoga retreat, that which just kind of stuck in my head there, but I see there's so many creative types of travel opportunities now where you could go and and do a yoga retreat or even get certified as a yoga instructor if you wanted to or you can go on what is it they call it ecotourism now where you can go and talk a little bit about those different options if you wouldn't mind
1: Yeah. So the great thing about uh, travel, like I said, is there's something for literally everybody. So there are these eco-tourism trips where you go and you volunteer and part of the trip and the tour is giving back locally. So that's great for people who are really interested in doing that sort of thing. Some people aren't and that's totally fine. But the the key is to find an advisor if you want to work with a professional or someone that specializes in these types of travel For example, I don't know everything. If someone wants to book something that I'm not familiar with, I actually have a great network of advisors who do specialize in those things I referred to. So I think that's the key is finding someone who really knows what they're talking about, who can explain in-depth the experiences because, you know, you could be signing up for this what you thought was a light volunteering ecotourism trip and it's, you know, rough backpacking through the wilderness and hiking 10 hours a day and you're completely not prepared just because, you know, you might be looking at the pictures.
0: Yeah. And I think the other thing that I really see as an advantage to working with somebody like yourself is that all those gaps in the day, like you could, I'm guessing that you could literally set up different activities, kind of develop an itinerary for a person. Is that, is that with, with within your scope of things that you offer?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And most travel advisors do. And, and we'll have a call with a client when they're starting to design their trip to kind of get a feel for what they're looking for. So some clients that I work with, they want absolutely no activities. They just want a hotel and the flight and they're going to go wander the city and discover things on their own. Other people want every single minute of every day packed with an itinerary because they just want to see as much as possible. So that's the other benefit is working with a professional. You could tell them something that you think has nothing to do with travel and it'll spark an idea in their head and they'll realize what kind of trip you're actually looking for when you may not know that yourself.
0: Yeah, I have a really good friend who, um, her husband passed away a few years ago, and she decided to go to Europe on a, a foodie cruise, I think they mm-hmm. called it, and she, they literally went to different countries, and they had like five-star chefs sit down and teach them how to make a particular dish of the area. I thought that was such a, I'd never heard of anything like that. I thought that was a really cool idea.
1: Yeah, I bet it was probably a river cruise. Those those are really popular, especially in Europe. You can go through Bordeaux, through wine country. There's a lot of wine-themed river cruises. And they're actually um starting to do ones that are like, they'll bring on authors like Diana Gabaldon, who wrote the Outlander series, doing a very special river cruise. So lo- river cruises are great for, for those very specific special interests because they'll take you right to the country and then they'll have experts that come on and, and talk either about the food or the wine or, you know, the history or, you know, the World War II or whatever. So what's the
0: difference between, there I go again with that, so, what is the (laughs) difference between, now I'm really conscious of it, what's the difference between a singles cruise and traveling solo?
1: Great question. Um, Singles cruises don't really exist anymore, so uh, I just had somebody asking about this the other day on my social media, uh, does a singles cruise exist? And Not really. Um, There'll be some that are chartered, but it will be a, a private company that has chartered an entire cruise ship. Rather than, you know, just a publicly bookable cruise just for singles because it's it's not really the vibe anymore. Um So solo traveling is great because you don't have to be single to solo travel. You can just maybe have a different travel interest from your friends. Maybe your spouse or partner doesn't want to go on the trip that you want to go on. Maybe, you know, like I was, you've just gotten out of a really bad relationship and just want to find yourself, but you're not interested in dating anybody. So that's the difference between a solo and a single trip. Okay. And how do you recommend
0: that you use travel to do that act of finding yourself?
1: Yeah. Like I I spoke about in the beginning, for me, it was really important to not have anyone else to take into consideration to experience things for myself. I went on a kick after I got divorced of trying one new thing every month and figuring out if I liked it or not. Cause I really didn't know, you know, there's that scene in, in that movie runaway bride, where she doesn't know how she likes her eggs. She liked her eggs based on how her fiance at the time liked his eggs. And so sort of that same idea, try things because I didn't know if I really liked things or not, or if it was something that I had built into my own personality as a protection mechanism to make other people like me because I knew that they liked that thing. So trying new things, having this space to sort of grieve a relationship or grieve a part of yourself that might've changed or doesn't exist. I think that's a really important part of it too, is not not packing that trip so full of activities that you're avoiding, but making sure you have space to feel your feelings. I think that's a good, thank you. I think that's a really
0: succinct and really clear way of putting that because I agree you have to discover who you are if if you've been in any kind of you know difficult situation just getting out of it or even if you've been in a good relationship and it's over rediscovering yourself Mm -hmm. and looking for that what about people that are saying well I'd really like to be able to do this but I can't afford international travel what about traveling within say North and South America what do you is there Is that a cost effective option? And and what
1: would that look like? And how might that, how could a travel advisor help you with that? I mean, that's a really good question. And actually, I think the answer is that people would be surprised that the cost effectiveness of international travel depending on the destination and depending on the time of year that you're going. So if you go at really anywhere in what we call shoulder season, which is the time between, you know, say in the Northern hemisphere between summer and winter. So if you're going in the spring or the fall, you're going to get way better rates. It's going to be less crowded pretty much wherever you go. And and it's going to be a way more cost effective trip where even if you went to the Caribbean pretty much any time of the year, because all the year, except for hurricane season is high season there, you're going to be paying, you know, higher rates than you could possibly be paying going somewhere in Europe, you know, Croatia, Portugal, places like that, that are not necessarily top of mind when people think of Europe are actually really cost-effective places to go.
0: Yeah. I was talking to somebody else about this, that, that whole game of what game of Thrones, Mm -hmm. I never watched it, honestly, but it's really turned some of the tourism around in like Iceland. And I think Mm -hmm. it is Croatia. Isn't that where, yeah. So that's really brought it more to the forefront. So, What about trying to explore really off the beaten track places? How does that work um, if you're a solo woman traveler? Like, are there some concerns that maybe you might have if you're, you know, getting too far off kind of where other tourists and maybe in some, let's face it, not every country and not every community, even within the United States is a safe place to be Mm -hmm. um, for a single woman or for a single traveler. Or for people in general, some <laughs> dangerous <Per> experience. So, <laughs> yep. how do you, how do you know how, what guidelines could you recommend for people around that?
1: For me personally, I, I listen to my gut, and it has never once steered me wrong. Every person's going to have a different level of risk tolerance, and I think that's an important conversation everyone needs to have with themselves about. Where do I actually feel comfortable going? I'll say for me, I live in Seattle. I feel safer, you know, some places in Mexico is a very common one that that's misunderstood. I feel safer in some places in Mexico than I do walking in my own city sometimes. So it it it's also part of looking at what are uh, cliches and what might be a little bit overblown compared to you know levels of violence in the United States, as you mentioned, which is a great point. There are some places in the United States that are far more dangerous than lots of countries around the world. So have a level of risk tolerance. And if you are going to go to one of these places, especially um, countries in the Middle East that have different cultural norms with women, you want to make sure that you're traveling with a guide so that you don't accidentally, you know, disrespect somebody or, or a, a religious site, or, you know, you don't have a head covering or whatever the rules are in that country, because it's also really important for us as visitors to a country to respect their cultural norms, because even though they're not ours, we want to make sure that we're respecting how they do things in their country. Right, absolutely. So,
0: how much research should people do before they travel to
1: a country? I think quite a lot, especially if you're going it alone. Um, If you're working with a travel professional, for myself at least, I send out country guides or travel guides um, to my clients. I have series of, I don't know if that's a word, of emails that I send out to them depending on where their destination is, you know, rules about money. Or, you know, if you're in Europe, dining is a little bit different. You actually have to ask for the bill, which I found out the hard way. I was sitting at a restaurant one time waiting for the bill, and they just kept walking past me. So it's little things like that that someone who's never traveled before may not know, but we know to pass it on because we're the experts. So either work with a travel professional or join a Facebook group or a forum, somewhere that specializes in the country that you're going to, that somebody who has actually traveled there yeah. can give you advice on because a lot of people will think they have their own opinion but they have no real experience in, in that country
0: yeah and it's interesting you brought up TripAdvisor. um that's not always the most <laughs> <laughs> <No>. authoritative <laughs> place no. to find out information about anything <laughs> trust me i i got taken in by something on there one day and i was like I can't believe that's true. And thank goodness I went and checked it out on some other more mm-hmm. travel sites. Yeah, There's, nothing wrong. There's some great information on TripAdvisor, so I'm certainly not downplaying it, but it's sure. not always the gospel either. So yeah, I agree it's important to keep that in mind. Alyssa, you have shared a ton of information and I'm I'm really excited about thinking about travel as a way to sort of rediscover yourself after going through any kind of life change. So what do you think is the most important thing that you would like people to remember when they go on about their day after listening to this?
1: I think um, the one thing I would say is to make sure that when you do travel like we said, you're leaving that space for yourself to feel things, particularly if it's that first trip that you're, you know, post-divorce or breakup or whatever the situation is. Really allow yourself that room in your schedule. Don't pack all of your days filled with things so that you can run away from your emotions. It's okay to cry. I've cried on a lot of trips. It's actually very healing and freeing to be able to kind of release those emotions. So I would definitely have people keep that in mind.
0: I love that. And don't be afraid to get out there and try traveling. And, like Alyssa said, if you don't want to try international, try something national or try mm-hmm. something, you know, go to Canada, go to, go to yep. South America. It doesn't have to be necessarily a huge, long trip. So exactly. Alyssa, if people want to reach out, find out more about your services and what you do or talk to you more about planning a trip, what's the best way to get in touch with you?
1: So a couple places, my website is fearlessfreedomtravel.com, where you can also download an intro to solo traveling guide. And then I'm on Instagram and TikTok at fearlessfreedomtravel. That's a great name for a company too, by the way. I love that. It kind of worked out that way. (laughs) It it did.
0: Alyssa, thank you so much for being here today. And I'd like to thank everybody for listening in on the D-Shift. And don't forget, we've got another episode coming out next week. Thanks for listening and supporting the D-Shift podcast. If you would like to attend live trainings by our amazing guests and have a chance to ask questions and get answers from our experts, Join the D-SHIFT crew. For more details and to sign up, head on over to www.divorcecoachforwomen and click on the podcast page. Let's get this shift started.